Does your parents or grandparents ever say things over and over and looking back, you realized it took you years to really understand what it was they were saying? My mom was a gentle woman, but she was also a very funny woman who was pretty direct in almost everything that she did or said. And as a child, when she was grating cheese or when she was baking cookies, she had this phrase that she used. And I mean, when I would reach in to steal some of the grated cheese or steal a cookie, she had this phrase that she used, and I knew early that it meant don't do that, but I didn't really understand the comment until much later. My gentle and sweet mother would always say when I reached for a cookie or for grated cheese, she would say, you're going to pull back a bloody stump. (laughs) And it took me years to understand she was threatening to cut off my hand. That is not what I understood. But I also remember riding in the car with my grandma several times, and we would be looking out the window And we would see graffiti on a wall or on a street sign. And my grandmother would shake her head sadly and she would say, fools' names and fools' faces are often seen in public places. And I remember her saying that many times. And I know what it means now, but as a child, I didn't really understand. And I was curious about it. Can you remember some of those sayings from your past I'm guessing some of you have come across some of those kinds of curious comments when you're reading the Bible. There's some of those comments in there. I mean, you see comments about things like God being high and lifted up or baptism for the dead or women being silent in the church. And we get curious about what some of those things mean. And usually we think we have an idea, but often We just wish that someone could explain it to us. Today is the day on the church calendar that we remember what is called Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And if you remember on that day, the people met him outside of the city, and they were praising God. They were yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were waving palm branches and putting down their uh, jackets for the donkey he was riding to ride over. And now we're not talking about that event today, but Jesus made a curious comment on that day too. If you remember when the religious leaders came to him and they said, Jesus, this is really inappropriate for you to let people do this. I mean, they're basically declaring that you are the Messiah, the one that God is sending to rescue us, and so you need to tell these people to be quiet. And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, if this crowd is quiet, the rocks will cry out praises to God. That's kind of a curious comment, don't you think? I mean, just what did Jesus mean by that? And don't you wish that the people would have been quiet just for a little while to see what happened, to hear the rocks cry out? And 
those are the kind of curious comments we will look at. I mean, we'll look at one this week and one next week, and then later this summer, we're going to have an entire series where we will talk about those comments in the Bible that you're curious about, that you're curious about. In a few weeks, we'll have an insert for you to tell us what comments that you've always wondered about. But if you're thinking of one right now, just write curious comment on the welcome card and then write the comment or the scripture that you're curious about on it and put it in the offering bag later in the service and we'll put that on our list for the series when we do it. But we start today with a curious comment that Jesus made about love. He made it about love and if there's one thing that we get curious about but really want to understand, it's love. Our songs and poems and books and movies all seem to declare that loving and being loved is really important, yet many people are frustrated by this area of their lives. Many people are starving for love and they think everyone else has it. They think everyone else has it and they don't. They live their lives wondering if anyone really cares about them. And they may be a single person who's surrounded by people at work and at church who are married and yet they feel very alone and very uncared for. Many of those single people would be surprised to find out that often married people feel alone and uncared for as they exist every day in a hostile, loveless marriage. And then there's children who desperately need the love and attention of their parents. And then there's parents who desperately need the love and attention of their kids, yet feel pushed aside and ignored. And many people in our world and in this room are craving relationships and love and acceptance. And yet they feel like it's missing from their life. And Jesus said the people of God, the church, should be the solution for those who feel pushed aside and unloved. The people of God, the church, should be the solution. The church ought to be a place where people feel loved and where we extend the love of Jesus to others. In fact, while talking about this at what we call the Last Supper, Jesus makes a curious comment. Today we'll focus on just two verses from John chapter 13, here's what Jesus says in verses 34 and 35. I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Those of us who follow Jesus are supposed to love each other. People are supposed to see Jesus in us by the way that we love each other. And so the church is supposed to be a haven of love. The churches that are full of people who follow Jesus should be places where people who are hurting, where people who are feeling unloved can come and feel love and joy and acceptance. But many times that's just not been true of the church. It's just not been true in churches. It's happened in every ministry that I've been in at one point or another, and I'm used to it now, but the first time it happened was when I was in my early 20s. It was nearly 40 years ago, and it took me by surprise then, and I didn't deal with it very well. Her name was Karen. 
Her parents were very active in the church that I was serving as a youth pastor, and Karen came to a worship service most Sundays, but she never came to any of the classes or activities we had for her age group. And her parents wanted her to be more involved, and so did I. So one day, I went to the place where she was working, and I went to talk to her. And she was polite, but I knew that what I had said didn't convince her to come to any of our events. And so finally, I asked her why. And she said, if it wouldn't break my parents' heart, I wouldn't even go to church. And I asked her again why, and she said, because Steve, not one of the people in that church really care. They don't care about me, they don't care about God, they don't care about the needs of people, they're just a bunch of hypocrites, and they don't really care. I was taken by surprise. And I tried to respond, and frankly, I didn't do very well. And I was a little relieved when a customer came in to the shop and Karen politely told me she couldn't talk anymore. And you know what I've discovered? Many people feel just like Karen felt. They feel that the church is full of hypocrites that don't really care about others. And sadly, sometimes they seem to be right. And often when people don't feel love from Christians, they begin to wonder if Jesus really loves them. But Jesus wants his place, his church to be a place of love. So that's why he gave us what he calls a new commandment to love each other. And if you look back at that verse, he says the words love each other three different times. In just a few short sentences, he says three different times that we should love each other. And so it must be pretty important. And what Jesus says here helps us to understand how to do that better. So let's look at this a little more deeply. Let's deal with a few things about this passage that make us curious. First, notice that Jesus' new commandment forces me to love people I don't like. His new command forces me to love people that I don't like. Look at the first sentence from the passage again. He says, I give you a new command, love each other. That sentence has a few curious comments that we're going to talk about today, but I think the first curious thing is the fact that Jesus says this is a command. This is a commandment. I mean, we are commanded to love. Can you command love? Can you command love? Do you you have a problem with that? I mean... The way we think about love, you really can't command love. I mean, we think you fall in love with that girl over there and you'll be attracted to her, you'll marry her, you'll spend the rest of your life with her. You see, we have this very romantic view of love or we think that we get to know people and then we begin to like them and then we realize we've, we've actually grown to love them. But Jesus commands us to love each other. This is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of spiritual faithfulness. If we don't love one another, we are disobeying Jesus. Wow. Loving each other is as much of a command as you shall not steal or you shouldn't lie. And here's my problem. And I don't think I'm alone here. Here's my problem. There are people in this world I don't even like. 
I mean, they are really irritating people. And now Jesus commands me to love them. A preacher I respect wrote this, loving people is about the most difficult thing that some of us do. We can be patient with people and even just be uh, charitable and be just, but how are we supposed to conjure up in our hearts that warm, effervescent sentiment of goodwill which the New Testament calls love? Some people are just miserably unlovable. How are we supposed to stir up warm, fuzzy feelings towards people like that? And Jesus' answer, we don't have to. We don't have to. You see, the fact is, feelings are not the issue. The love Jesus commands is not a feeling. In fact, you can't command a feeling. And we tend to see love as a purely emotional response, but Jesus' view of love is different. It's not primarily a feeling but it's a choice. It's a choice. Have you discovered yet that you can choose to love people that you don't like? You can choose that. I mean, you can choose to love a child who's doing everything in their power to rebel against you and to make themselves totally unlovable. You can do that. You can choose to love your spouse on those days when they are totally unlovable. You can choose that. Love can be a choice, not a feeling. The love Jesus commands is not how I feel about you, but it's how I treat you. It's based on uh, what I, not on what I like, and it's not whether or not I like what you're saying or like what you're doing or whether I even like you. It's based on letting God love you through me. Letting God love you through me. Obeying Jesus' command to love means that we would force ourselves to love people even if we don't feel warm and fuzzy about them. What this means is that people, would, uh, that people wouldn't leave marriages and churches and friendships as often because they would learn to love like Jesus and get past hurt feelings and small differences. So first, Jesus' new command forces me to love people I don't like. Second, Jesus' new command increases the quality of my love. It increases the quality of my love. Look at the verse again. I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. Looking at this verse again brings up another reason why what Jesus says here is to me a curious comment. It's curious because Jesus says it's a new command. He says this is a new commandment. And calling it a new commandment must have confused his followers who were there listening to him in that upper room that night. I mean, they'd heard him talk about love before. He had taught them uh, this in several different settings. They remembered when he taught them to love our enemies and when he said that if we only love people who love us, that wouldn't be any different, that wouldn't make us unique. So it may have made them curious and maybe they even asked the question out loud. They may have said, we understand you want us to love each other, but how is that a new commandment? How is that a new commandment? Not not only had they heard him talk about it before, but they knew that it was in the Old Testament. I think the first time we read it is in Leviticus. Look at what it says in chapter 19, verse 18. I am the Lord, and I command you to love others as much as you love yourself. 
Now, I was curious about Jesus calling this a new command, so I did some study on what it means and uh, when it's called a new commandment. One book said, quote, what Jesus meant was that it is a renewed commandment. He was repeating it and making it fresh. That didn't seem quite right to me. Another book said this, Jesus was narrowing the commandment to just other believers, meaning that we only have to love people who are already saved. That didn't sound right to me. Another book, Jesus was expanding the commandment to all the people in the world, not just your neighbor. Now, respectfully, I don't think any of those are right. I think Jesus was making a new commandment. I think it was a new commandment. Look at the verse again, and this time, I've asked them to highlight the part that I think is new. Jesus said this, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. You must love each other as I have loved you. Seeing the two next to each other highlights what's new. The old commandment was that we should love each other as much as we love ourselves. In other words, I care about them the same way I care about me. But the new commandment goes beyond that. I love others the way that Jesus loves me. That helps me define what true love really means. Jesus' new commandment increases the quality of my love by asking me to love others the way that Jesus loves me. Now, how has Jesus loved me? Well, he loves me unconditionally. He loves me unconditionally even when I'm not very loving towards him or when I'm not living for him. He loves me sacrificially, meaning that he gives up what's good and comfortable for him to accomplish what's best for me. And when I love others the way Jesus has loved me, suddenly their needs are not just as important as my needs, but their needs are more important than mine. That's what this new commandment is all about. It's pretty big (laughs) and it's pretty hard. You see, the new commandment takes away all of our old excuses for staying mad at someone, for not loving someone, for not caring for someone. It is a command to love each other the same way Jesus loves me. But there's one more thing that I want to make sure that we see from these verses. That is that Jesus' new commandment determines if others will be influenced. His new commandment determines if others will be influenced. Look again at the whole verse. Jesus said, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Now don't miss what Jesus said here. It's really important, don't miss it. Jesus said loving others isn't just an important thing, it's the only thing. Loving others isn't just an important thing, it's the only thing. 
Jesus said, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Love is the distinguishing mark. People are supposed to recognize that I belong to Jesus by the way that I care about people and by the way that I love people. People are supposed to know that we're following Jesus, uh, but not by our oh-so spiritual Facebook and Twitter posts. People aren't supposed to know that we're Christians by our political stance on moral issues or who we voted for. They don't know we're Christ followers because we go to church every weekend. They're supposed to recognize us as Christian people, as Jesus's people, because we love like Jesus. Because we love like Jesus. They're supposed to listen to how we talk to each other and about each other and how we treat each other. And by that, they're supposed to know that we follow Jesus. And if we fail on this, If we fail on this new commandment, no one will ever see Jesus. If we fail on this, no one will ever see Jesus unless we learn to love like Jesus. Earlier in his life, Jesus called loving God and loving others the greatest of all commandments. He said, everything that the scripture teaches hangs on those two things, on loving God and loving others each other. The Apostle Paul says that there are three eternal virtues that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, Paul says, is love. The greatest Christian theologian of the last century, Francis Schaeffer, said that the world has the right to judge Christianity by the way we treat other Christians. He writes, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Let me say that again. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Love is the ultimate confirmation for Christianity. Love is the proof of our faith. It is the evidence of what we believe. This is why Jesus said, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. And don't miss it. Jesus is talking to his followers about how they treat each other. Not how they treat people outside of Christ, not how they treat people outside of the church. Other places in the Bible emphasize how we should love people outside of the church. We should care about the outcasts and the immigrants and those who just need justice. But here it's talking about people, here it's talking not about people who are not followers of Jesus, but it's talking about how people who are not following Jesus Watch those of us who are, and it indicates that what will draw them to Jesus is how we love each other. It's how they see us loving each other, and that's why it's such a big deal in the Bible when church people fuss and fight with each other, and why uh, the world outside of Christ really doesn't understand why there's so many different churches 
It's why our leadership is so focused on unity here at Impact and making sure that we're all heading for the same purpose across all of our campuses. Because when we fail to love each other, when we talk bad about church leaders or other Christians from other churches or about other people in the church, it makes it harder for people to come to know Jesus. It makes it harder for us to influence them. And if we aren't doing a good job of loving each other, it won't matter if we're teaching the right thing or not. Because when our words and our actions disagree, they're going to ignore our words and they're going to believe our actions. But there's hope. Because if you are one of the people here who doesn't think that you can really talk to someone about Jesus, you're worried that you don't know enough or that you're going to say the wrong thing, here's the encouraging thing. Your words don't convince them anyway. Your acts of sincere love will. Your acts of sincere love will. Years ago, Fred Craddock, a preacher in the Midwest, told how when he was growing up, his mom was a Christian, but his dad wasn't. And his mom would invite his dad to the small church that they attended. And each time that she invited him, his dad would say the same thing. He would say, all that church down there is interested in is another name and another number. Another name and another number. Fred said he must have heard his dad say that hundreds of times growing up because his dad thought the church was only interested in adding more people to the membership and becoming a bigger church with bigger offerings. Fred remembers that when they would have a guest speaker come in to preach a revival or something, his mom would always invite them over and, they would, and she would hope that her dad would, or his dad would be influenced. And Fred said he would sit outside under the window of the living room while the guest speaker was talking to his dad and he always knew that he would eventually hear his dad say, all that church is interested in is another name and another number. And he said his dad never disappointed him. But he says he also remembered a day when his dad didn't say it. His dad was in the Veterans Hospital in Houston, Texas. He was down to only 73 pounds. He had cancer of the throat, and they had to remove his larynx. And he had a pipe sticking down his throat to feed him as long as they could. And Fred had flown in to visit him. And when he walked into the room, he saw his dad lying there in the bed, a mere shell of the man he used to be. And he noticed that the room was literally filled with plants and flowers. And next to his bed was a stack of cards and prayer cards. And the stack was 20 inches deep. And his dad watched him as Fred read the cards on several plants and read several of the cards next to the bed. And every card he read was from members of that little church that he'd grown up in. And he said his dad reached over and he grabbed a Kleenex box and it was the only thing that his dad could find to write on. And his dad took a felt tip pen and he wrote this little quote from Shakespeare's Hamlet on the back of the box. When Fred read it, it said, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. Fred said, Daddy, what is your story? And his dad wrote three more words on that Kleenex box. He wrote, I was wrong. I was wrong. Well, Karen was wrong too. And I knew she was wrong. And I couldn't let Karen continue to believe that 
the church people didn't care about her, that they didn't care about her needs. And so I went back to her work a few days later and I said, Karen, I'm really sorry that you've been hurt by the church, but I want you to know, I think you're wrong. I think people in that church really do care. They aren't just concerned about their own needs. They care about you. They care about your spiritual needs. They really do care. I'll never forget her smile. She smiled just a little and she said, oh, they really do care, do they? Who is it that you think cares? Name some. She didn't just want assurances. She wanted names. Can I give her your name? Can I tell her that you will love her just like Jesus has loved you? Can I give her your name and tell her that you will love her and your family and others in our church and everyone else you come into contact with the way Jesus has loved you? See, as we think about Jesus' new commandment, I'll leave you with one more instruction from Scripture. First John says this, Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show it by the truth of our actions. And that will always be the case, you know. We will show whether we love like Jesus commanded us to, not by the words that we say, but by the truth of our actions.